Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Torch. Uh, I'm Jake Roberts. And I'm Kimberly Rowland. And today we have our first interview person, our first guest on the show, uh, Ken Bonham. He is the founding partner at Lucid Agency, a full-service digital marketing and consulting agency in Tempe, Arizona. Founded in 2006, Lucid services enterprise-level clients throughout North America and is a premier partner of Google. Ken is currently the vice chair of the BBB of the Pacific Southwest, as well as a board member of the Council of Better Business Bureaus. Ken is an avid hockey player, golfer, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. What? He also officiates professional ice hockey in the American Hockey League. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. We are so happy to have you here. Yeah, I admire the setup. I was very impressed with uh, everything you guys have here today and looking forward to uh, having a conversation uh, here on The Torch. All right, so first things first. We want to know all of your life story in five minutes. <laughs> okay, I'll make it real brief. Um, <laughs> Talk to us about where you're from, though. I hear I hear a little bit of a Midwest accent. Yeah, I grew up in Detroit, uh, just south, small town called uh, Trenton. It's the second largest Trenton in America behind Trenton, New Jersey. Nice. <laughs> so, Claim to uh, fame. Yeah, we're a small town about 15 miles south of Detroit. I'm a th- third, actually fourth generation resident of the town. My grandparents went to my high school. My parents went to my high school. Me, my brother, my sister went to the same high school. And uh, I I loved growing up there. I I always thought I'd end up staying there and working in the auto industry like my my father does and my brother does to this day and um, still have um, uncles in the industry. And uh, I had one friend who came out to Arizona State after high school, came home, told me all about it and scratched my head for about five seconds and said, what am I doing here when it's 70 and sunny in Arizona in January? <laughs> and uh, I came out here, 19 years old, $800 to my name, and I knew one person. And I've been here ever since. So 18 years I've been in Arizona. I love it. I am a proud alumni of Arizona State University. Yeah. Forks up. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, you said in my bio, I, I'm big into hockey and I, I played my whole life. I've been officiating hockey for 23 years. It was something I did when I was 15 just for extra money, and I just stuck with it and somehow managed to get all the way up to the American Hockey League, which is right below the NHL. So I've done some cool stuff. I've seen a lot of fights and um, been into a few interesting situations over the years in the the ice rink, but uh, it it was great, and uh, I love to golf. I'm on a mission right now to break 80. I um, shot 83 both times last weekend, and I'm on a mission to break 80. It's it's a it's a hard game. I, I love it. It's it's the most challenging thing I've ever done, and I like to travel a lot and also do a lot of jujitsu on the side as well. So, pretty active guy. Yeah. Um, no wife, no girlfriend, no family. I don't think I could do that many things <laughs> if I had any of those commitments in life. So there's a, a price to pay for that. So. Yeah. Kind of changing the topic a little bit, but it's something you told us in the uh, you know when we were preparing for this podcast today. We wanted to know every guest we have on this show. If you could meet anyone, past or present, usually people will pick the past. In history, who would it be? And you gave us an interesting answer. Do you remember who you picked? Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it wasn't even a, um, there wasn't even anyone that was even second. I actually went to school to be a teacher. A lot of people don't know that. Mm. And I have a degree in secondary education, social studies with emphasis uh, in history, which I was highly qualified for while I still had my teaching certification. So... I can't say I'm a history buff, but I, I enjoy it. And the amount of respect that I have for what he accomplished, I think is second to none. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all learned about the Civil War growing up in middle school, high school, college, or wherever. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a serious turning point for our country. You know, we 
could have been split in two or, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's just a million outcomes that could have came out of that. And mm-hmm. I would just love nothing more than to be able to see the man, meet him, talk to him. And, you know, he had a lot of um, progressive thoughts a very long time ago about men being equal and mm-hmm. regardless of color, um, you know, against slavery, everything. I mean, mm-hmm. everything the guy stood for was right. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of people that were against that because it threatened their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of respect for that. So mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, definitely. Cool. And so since you grew up, we were talking about this too a little bit in uh, outside of Detroit or right around Detroit. There's some really cool artifacts of Abraham Lincoln in your hometown, right? Yeah. So just outside of where I grew up is the Henry Ford Museum. We were actually chatting about that before we got on the um, podcast today, but it's uh, it's a gem for sure. I mean, it, it's on par with the Smithsonian. So Henry Ford, obviously the founding father of uh, Ford Motor Company and the production line and, you know, manufacturing as we know it, um, had a very, um, he, was, he was just very fond of history in general mm-hmm. and really appreciated it. So he endowed a, a ton of his money to create the Henry Ford Museum. And inside the Henry Ford Museum is actually the chair that, unfortunately, Lincoln was um, shot in at the Ford's Theater. Mm-hmm. Crazy enough oh, that that's yeah. that. I don't think there's, there's no correlation, but it was the Ford's Theater in D.C. Right. Um, John Wilkes Booth, you know, did oh. all that. So, yeah. Yeah. But that museum's awesome. Inside of it, there's also the um, the car that Kennedy was in during his assassination. And then there's a bunch of stuff from the industrial age, industrial revolution of the United States, a lot of manufacturing stuff. There's locomotives in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of steam engines, and it is, uh, it's awesome. So, yeah. That's right a great backyard. museum. Yeah, and right next to it is a thing called Greenfield Village, which is like an 1800s little, um, kind of like a settler's town that's also yeah. connected to it. So, I've yeah, been, if you ever I've go to there. Detroit. Yeah, my cousin got married there at Greenfield Village. It's awesome. That is really cool. So, I guess, I guess what is Lucid? Just to give mm-hmm. a, a sort of quick rundown of what is Lucid? What do you guys do? What services do you provide? Yeah, good question. So we're a full-service digital marketing agency, but we um, do a lot more than most other agencies in town in the digital space. So for the most part, when I summarize this, you know, in the, I guess, a elevator pitch or when you're out just networking or talking to people, bucket our services into three areas. The first, design and development, all front-end, websites, apps, a lot of WordPress-type work. We don't do any back-end development. And uh, what we're most known for is performance marketing, a lot of lead generation, customer acquisition. We manage a lot of media with Google. Um, Also, LinkedIn is a very popular vertical. Basically, anything we have to do, uh, also programmatic ad buying, pretty much anything we have to do to generate traffic to a website to get someone to take interest in whatever product or service that company may be offering. The last piece and the biggest differentiator for us um, is the consulting piece, and we can work with companies to help them figure out all of their digital assets, not just managing media. A lot of agencies, um, not only in town, but nationally, um, claim to be digital marketing agencies, but they don't really do more other than manage the media. Mm. So actually, the Better Business Bureau is a client of ours at the council level for the entire BBB system. We've helped them um, restructure um, a lot of the usability of their site. We've helped them with how they go about their ratings. We've helped them um, figure out how their directories work. So for people that are not too familiar with the BBB, there's an accredited business and a non-accredited business. So we had to build business cases around why the directories should be merged. And what those are, those are business problem or business questions that have the result of a, um, um, a digital function. 
if that makes sense. So they had a business problem. The BBB has a business problem around how do we do our um, directories with accredited, non-accredited accredited businesses, but the result is how they show up on, on the website. And you can't just go in and change that. So we have a consulting division that can come in and help a company figure out business problems, uh, maybe how much um, they have to budget towards um, acquiring a customer, figuring out what those price points should be, what acquisition costs should be. And I'm um, getting a little long-winded now, but to wrap it up, we also do a lot of marketing automation and lead scoring. Mm-hmm. So we help companies manage their funnels um, through the marketing process, score um, customers based on their interest level, you know, if they're a beginning engagement further down the funnel or if they're getting ready to buy a product, and we help segment out all the marketing messages to those individuals. We do a lot of work with uh, HubSpot, which I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with, and also an agency platform that we use called SharpSpring, and then other email platforms like MailChimp and Constant Contact and Campaign Monitor and Mm -hmm. things like that. So it's great that you mentioned the fact that you guys are working on the the BBB kind of website redesign Mm -hmm. and new rollout Um, because I was at um, Femix a few years ago where all the BBB CEOs kind of come to convene and you guys did a presentation about you were sort of like giving out like what you were going to work on. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the, 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 I was there taking pictures of the event and I remember listening to the presentation where your user experience guy, the design guy was saying what was wrong with our website, what, what needed to happen, how mm-hmm. it needed to feel. And I was, I was like kind of standing in the back row, just like nodding my head the whole yeah. time. I was like, you guys know. Because <laughs> um, if, if anyone's seen the BBB website even two, three years ago mm-hmm. to now, it, it's completely modernized and, and and not only looks great, but it feels great yeah. too. When, when we're, we're getting there. You yeah. know, there's still a lot of work to be done because obviously the, the BBB was on the web 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So they, what do we have, 103 um, different bureaus now, so there's there's a lot there's still a lot of work to do, but we're getting there, and we're in a so much better place than we were. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen any of the early um, uh, reports that have been coming back from some of the other BBBs, but the traffic is skyrocketing in a, in a positive. So that's great. We're happy. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what you probably wanted to see. It too. is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, we're putting our money where our mouth is at that point. You know, we told everyone to you know trust us. This is what's going to happen if we make these changes. And some people were scratching their head and they're skeptical about it, but it's working. Can you talk to me about meeting Scott and kind of getting Lucid off the ground? Yeah. So Scott is uh, my business partner and uh, Scott Kaufman and I started the agency in 2006 and we were friends in college. You know, I, I don't think we ever thought we were going to end up owning a business together. And we went down two completely different tracks. You know, he was the, the honors student, honors degree in marketing, honors degree in finance, and went through the whole Barrett program with a double major and, you know, made his parents proud and hit the home run in life. And I was kind of aimlessly wandering around not knowing what I was going to do. And next thing you know it, um, I ended up in sales and um, really enjoyed it and was doing well with it. And he got into the agency world and worked at another agency in uh, Phoenix here and climbed the ranks um, very high at a young age. And lo and behold, him and I ended up being roommates after college. And we got to chatting one day and he knew I had the sales side thing going and I knew he knew the agency stuff and we literally were chatting over a beer one day and he's like, you know, I, I can do this stuff if you can sell it. And we both took a chance on each other because I, I just knew he was a good person and I, I thought he was smart but didn't know how much he knew and he thought I was all right at sales and thought he could trust. You know, we just went for it. You took know, a I, chance I, on yeah. each other. We didn't have anything to lose. We were 26 and we were roommates renting an apartment together and 
you know, now I, I wouldn't uh, change that for anything because 12 years later at 38 and knocking on the door of 40, I mean, man, I, I don't know if I'd go and start a business now. You know, it was awesome to do it at a young age and you had virtually nothing to lose. So, I mean, that's the quick 30-second summary. College friends yeah. using the industry. We both wanted to do something on our own, and he asked, and I said, let's go. A lot more happened after that, but that's the, that's the quick summary. That's the abridged version. Yeah. yeah, yeah. he was already in the industry, and we wanted to put our monies where our mouth were and go for it. And here you are today. Yeah. When we talk about agencies, we have all sorts of different people tuning into the podcast. So we have mm-hmm. people who are in business. We have people in the service industry, maybe small family-run yeah. businesses. We have some people who are listening that also have not started yet. So when do you need to go to an agency, and like, what's your Ooh. ideal client, or who is your ideal client? For, from your business's perspective, but then how as a, an entrepreneur do I know when it's time for me to go to an agency? Ooh, that's a good question. So um, I'll answer the the first one when it's a good time to engage with an agency. And then um, I'll answer the second one, you know, who we work with, because those are two different two different questions. But that's, um, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's, it's a chicken and egg scenario, right? Like what comes first, mm-hmm. um, the marketing or the sales? So the first thing that a small business has to do is, is, is focus on the business itself, right? Focus on getting your um, processes in place and getting everything buttoned up. And, and the one thing that took my business partner, Scott, and I a really long time to figure out, which was a huge benefit for us, is figuring out who our customers are and figuring out who a fit is. Because I think a lot of small businesses, when they're getting started, um, they chase a lot of customers that may or may not be a good fit. Mm-hmm. So we have this whole client criteria of, you know, can they afford you easily? Do they understand what you offer? Do they want to work with you? Um, you know, are they ethical? That's actually one of the things that we have as a qualifier as well, which is something we want all um, accredited businesses and um, maybe non-ABs that want to be ABs to strive for because we are a group of ethical businesses trying to do business with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, figure that out. And then um, I think a lot of small businesses when they reach that point where they have a marketing budget, let's say it's, and this sounds like a lot of money to small business, let's say it's $100,000 for the entire year. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, that might only be one or two service lines, you know, maybe managing a pay-per-click campaign, and a LinkedIn campaign, plus $5,000 a month media. That's that's hundred grand right there. I think a lot of small businesses make the mistake of trying to hire someone saying that they can do those things. And what I've learned in my business and having an agency and interviewing a lot of people in marketing you are very, very, very hard pressed to find a quality marketing person for, you know, let's say under sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You just are, but there's a lot of really good agencies out there that can help you for two, three, four thousand dollars a month. Do the math. Yeah, do the math. <laughs> so, I think um, in the beginning, when you know you need to figure something out, try to find a consultant that can help you. Maybe an individual that could bill you hourly. And then once you get to the point where you think, oh, I need to hire a marketing person. Once you think you need to hire a marketing person and you have the money to hire a marketing person, that means you have enough to hire an agency. And I would consider that. And I'm not saying that to benefit myself, but I've seen so many times with people in in the industry that would rather, I mean, I'll tell you a quick little story without, you know, keeping every, all names um, out of the, the scenario. Someone I knew jump ship to a, a, a newer company and they wanted to, to hire us. Oddly enough, a few months before he had referred me someone 
to uh, apply for a job at my agency. They weren't qualified to, to work for us. They, they weren't, it wasn't too far off. It just wasn't a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. And then um, he hired us to work with us. And I'll be darned if three or four months later, he said he decided to hire her for him and let us go. And, I, and I'm friends with the person still, but I didn't have the heart to tell him, be like, you know, we didn't even hire this person because they weren't qualified to do this. And now you're literally thinking you're saving money. Mm-hmm having someone else do that work. So it's, it's, it's less interesting. money, but yeah. the value isn't there. Yeah. It's definitely a chicken and egg scenario, right? There's, there's not the perfect scenario and all businesses are different. Yeah. So it, like for a lot of ABs, a lot of them might be contractors or um, some sort of skilled trade like plumbing, heating, cooling, roofing. That's a lead generation heavy segment. Mm-hmm. Those people need performance and they need people that know what the heck they're doing. And I, I know for a fact there's two or three agencies here in town that specifically cater to contractors and helping people, you know, Get the phones to ring. Mm-hmm. So Lucid started in, in 2006. Um, was there a point that you guys experienced a, a turn, like a sharp uphill turn, or was is the growth gradual? Good question. So it had been it, it had been pretty steady climbing all the way up. Um, so the first like two years was strictly part time, and then we actually went for broke in like 2008, right after the big crash. But we didn't have anything. We only had um, we did have a third business partner for a short period of time um, around 2007, but we didn't really have anything to lose, so we didn't know any different. So for the most part, the revenue has steadily gone up over the years. But what I've noticed is a very big change in the conversation I was having with individuals. And uh, I think I had talked to Kimberly about this previously when we were um, chatting before the podcast the first couple of years that I was out pounding the pavement and shaking hands and going to networking events, passing out business cards, I'd literally get like these old guys like kind of politely tapping me on the shoulder and be like, ah, we don't need you, kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't do business on the internet. Mistake thinking, number one. Yeah. But they didn't know any different. And, you know, a lot of those companies either aren't around today or severely shrunk in size, but they didn't know what they didn't know. And there was a period of time there from the early 2000s until probably 2009 or 2010 where a lot of businesses, especially B2B, felt that if they didn't sell a product online, like physically, you know, shopping cart feature or selling a car, yeah, they didn't need it. Yeah. Then there was a transition. Of, fortunately, it wasn't too long, probably two or three years where all the all the answers back to me were, how are you different than anyone else? Because all these traditional agencies had gotten their butts kicked so hard for two or three, four years of literally losing massive accounts. Um, there's two agencies here in town that capitalize on that drastically. There's one that's still around called iCrossing. I mean, they blew up. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but in the early to mid-2000s, they were the largest search engine optimization agency in the world. And they were here in Scottsdale. I mean, they had General Motors and American Airlines as clients. Wow. wow. Do you think the agencies in New York are going to let that happen? Mm. No way. Uh, there was another agency here in town called Sightwire, and they were working with Pulte, and they were working with Darden Restaurant Group, which is Olive Garden Red Lobster. They had worked with Under Armour at one point in Kroger. I mean, these are big accounts. Huge. And their agencies here in town were working with them. So um, they had already been in that space. But what I was getting at is all these other traditional agencies real quick built up their digital capabilities, and then all of a sudden the market was flooded. And then I would get the response, oh, well, how are you different than anyone else? Mm. Fast forward. Um, a few years later, where, which is where we had the most success was from, and we're still doing great, but I think where things came the easiest was probably from 12 or 13 until around 15 or 16. And that's when people are kind of waving the white flag saying, uh, please, please help. 
Like they, they, then they had been burned or they had went with that traditional agency that all of a sudden overnight had digital capabilities or they had worked with that person who claimed to be a real estate or I'm sorry, a um, social media consultant or something like that. So it's, uh, it's been interesting. So the revenue piece hasn't been too much of a roller coaster for us just because I think because of our, our age and kind of the time when we entered the market. But the conversations I've had over the years have been very interesting from I don't need you to how are you different than anyone else all the way to, you know, please help. And now we're back to a more, um, I think a more, I don't want to say cluttered market, but it's in a weird spot right now because I feel like a lot of the traditional agencies have built up enough knowledge to talk the talk, but they're still not walking the walk as Mm -hmm. well as they should. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of gray matter in my space, but it is what it is. It's competition. Competition is good for everyone, no matter what industry you're in. And you always got to work hard and differentiate yourself no matter what you do. I have a question based on something you said. Um, again, we, we want to try and break down and share little tidbits where we can. So one of the things you jumped out that jumped out that you just said was you, you briefly uh, touched on SEO. Mm-hmm. And that is a concept. Again, if you're starting a business, if you don't have a marketing background, you don't know what SEO is. So can you kind of give us just the 101, why SEO is important? What is it? Yeah. So SEO stands for search engine optimization. And <clears throat> basically, how well your site is optimized is whether or not it's going to get ranked in a Google search. And how Google has um, identified which sites are ranking and which ones are not over the years has just changed a lot. So it used to be just changing certain uh, metadata and certain tags within the website. And then for a period of time, it was all about content and blogging. And now they're really big on um, what they call quality and clean code and sites loading quickly. So what they want to do is make sure that if you have a mobile phone, that the site real quick Mm -hmm. loads immediately. Same with um, on on the um, desktop and um, laptops as well. Now where SEO gets really difficult these days is that the, the web is so mature, it's very, very, very hard to get rankings organically, no matter what you do. So if you're a new business, um, if I had to take a guess, just mathematically in my head, probably 90% of the time, the easiest route to go is to buy traffic. Mm-hmm. What I mean by buying traffic is bidding on keywords on Google to get your search result. Because if you're, um, let's just pick, pick name an industry, anything. HVAC. Okay, HVAC. Just think here in town how many companies have been around on the web for 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, we have a board member here, Mike Donnelly. They've been in the business for over 30 years, 40 years. Chaz Roberts has been in it for 30, 40 years. You know, you have other ones, um, George Brazil. I mean, all these companies have been around, and the list goes on and on that you've heard of. There's Gettle, there's Parker and Sons. And it's not that you can't um, outrank them, but they've had content on on the web for years. Same thing in the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. It's a reason why individual you always hear individual realtors struggling with being able to get their um, exposure online. Well, it's because they have a million competitors digitally. So do you think content matters still, though, even though you said it's not as weighted by Google now? I'm wondering, you know, people are still putting blogs out there, and when you're starting a business, you're thinking of, like, your marketing and what you can do to outrank your competition and I think that's probably encouraged still but does it really help yeah so content's changed a lot over the um, the last few years and the reason it's changed is because it used to be part of the Google algorithm that there was the term content is king so 
a lot of businesses were putting out content just for the sake of putting out content. Now it's about the quality of your content. So it's helping individuals make an educated guess or decision on whether or not you're a right fit for them. So if you're going to put out content, you need to make sure it's very useful regardless of the product or service that you're trying to sell. Does Ken Bonham have a secret to business success that all or any entrepreneurs and business owners (laughs) can take your secret and unlock and unleash their business power? Give us the manual, Ken. Oh, wow. That's that's a good question. (laughs) I have a I have a few opinions on that. You know, I think part of it, part of it's what you're born with. I mean, you, you can't you can't teach someone to get out there and hustle and work hard. You know, there's something to be said for that. I had someone say something to me once about being lucky, and I said, whoa, hold the phone right there. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky because I had good parents, and I'm lucky because I'm healthy. I created the rest of the luck myself. I, right. I, I really did. I, I did not get any help from, from anyone else. It, it, was, it was up to me to get there. But um, I think the key to success is working hard, showing up, but also un- understanding your, your strengths and your weaknesses. So Gary Vaynerchuk is a guy that does a ton of podcasts and blogs, and I think he's all right. But the one thing that I heard him say a couple years ago, which resonated well with me, is don't be, try to be a number one when you're a number two. And that just like spoke to me because my business partner runs all the day to day. He's the majority partner in the company. And I'm more or less the, you know, first lieutenant or captain or whatever. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not settling for anything different. It's just I don't want to run everything. Right. I don't want to be the CEO. I want to do sales. I want to do business development. I want to sit on boards. There's other things I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. And I'm okay with that. And I think there's a lot of business owners that think they want to be a business owner, entrepreneur, that thinks they want to be an entrepreneur that really is a number two, that has what it takes, you know, to get dirty, work hard, take a risk, but may not have the ability to actually run all the day to day. To day. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people that get burnt out in business trying to do something that they're not capable of doing to where if they took the time to possibly seek out a partner and um, make a run with, with someone, they'd probably be a lot more successful. Founder syndrome, isn't that when you don't know when to walk away from your own idea or company or bring in help? Mm-hmm. I think that could be really interesting. For we, sure. we always talk about future episodes we want to do so that we record it so we remember what we want to do. Yeah. And I think co-founders, that would be really cool to kind of dive in a little bit more. And then kind of like you said, know if you are the CEO or if you're a co-founder, or wh- what your role is in the company. There's something to be said about knowing the value you can bring to someone else rather than trying to self-serve. You yes, know? correct. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And you know, my key, to, my key to success was understanding that I knew I wanted to go into business, but I also knew I needed a partner to do it. And I didn't know what that story would look like. Mm-hmm. But 12 years later, I can tell you that it's an awesome business partner and working in the digital space. And we um, have another company that's going to be launching next year, and we're pretty excited about it. And I don't think we could have done any of that on our own, either him nor I. So That's exciting. Yeah. Maybe you can come back. <clears throat> For sure. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to. Either now or another episode. Do you have a platform that you think is going to be the most important platform for small businesses or any type of entrepreneur to get on when they're founding and running the company? So it depends on the industry, but LinkedIn is super powerful. You know, if, if you're doing any type of consulting or professional services like um, accounting, legal, um, what else would fall under professional services? 
you know, anything like that, it's LinkedIn all day. It, if it's more of the um, run-of-the-mill AB, you know, your um, contractor services and things like that, you, you have to have a strong presence on Google. And uh, depending on what you do, you may or may not be able to target people on Facebook or, or Instagram. Facebook's still very relevant. The, the most active group on um, Facebook is over 40, if you can believe that. That never would have been anyone's wildest dreams 10 years ago. You know, there were old people, what's what's on a book? What's a Facebook? Right. You know, they didn't even know what it was. There's like, like an initial resistance, <clears throat> but over time they kind of yeah, adopted we, it. We used to go to a retirement community in the Northwest Valley. Um, is it, I think it's Vistancia with a V, I think is what it was. And mm-hmm. we used to go teach Facebook classes. Yeah. And we were paid to do it. And they would do them like two times a month and the room would have a hundred people in it. Personal mm-hmm. ones or business ones? No, personal for retired people because they didn't even know how to use it and they all wanted to be on it. So, I mean, there's still a ton of value in Facebook. It's, it's just not um, as prominent with the younger generation. So I think if you're um, selling certain goods and products and services, I still think Facebook is very relevant. Same with Instagram. If your professional services look real serious into LinkedIn, LinkedIn is still great to build your personal network. And then um, you obviously got to be found on Google as well. So it's a case-by-case scenario, but those are my, those are my important ones. Lucid Agency is a Google... <clears throat> premier partner. Uh, yes, can you sir. explain what that is? Yeah. So being a premier partner is pretty awesome. We are in, oh man, I can't even, I'm held to secrecy. What? <laughs> because, this, is a, yeah. this is a safe circle. Oh, I can't, I can't say it online. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, on, on the podcast here, the but we're, we're uh, in a very top tier. We're in a very small percentage, I will tell you, of agencies worldwide. Very elite. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it is an elite thing, um, you know, jokes aside. Um, a regular Google partner just means you have a couple people that are certified in either AdWords and analytics. A premier partner is reserved for agencies that have a significant amount of spend with Google. And what that allows us to do is have access to a, a team at Google that only works with our agency and our accounts, not a salesperson. There's actually a team there that knows what we're doing on a daily basis with our client spend. It also gives us access to beta products. So before things hit the market, we um, had an example where we got to run a pretty cool Gmail campaign, um, literally for pennies on the dollar, before it was even out to the market because we had access to their um, premier partnership program and we got to go to a client and um, try something new for them for really cheap and it worked out really well. We also got to do uh, something pretty cool um, on two different occasions. Um, earlier this year, we, t- we took a client of ours to Google's campus and did their 2018 planning meetings right there in, in Mountain View. And that's pretty cool when, it, when a client can show up at Google. That's awesome. And you're there as their agency. Like, they think that's the coolest thing since sliced bread. That is pretty neat. Yeah. The business version of the red carpet. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> and then we also held a private summit last year. Um, there was an education conference up in San Francisco and we rented a charter bus and filled it up with over 40 people. And I think we had either 27 or 28 universities with us. And we went and did a day long education summit and uh, it was awesome. Yeah. So that's what a premier partner is. It's someone who has the, the direct number to Google and we get all the access to all the cool stuff like the New York and Chicago and LA, excuse me, and LA agencies have access to right here in Phoenix. I think there's only two other agencies here in town that have it. That's exciting. Congrats. I'm not going to tell you who they are. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll just do our own research. Yeah, yeah thanks. 
So, um, Ken, Lucid Agency was named this year as a top company to work <coughs> for by azcentral.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that your agency works with world-class clients, which you touched on a little bit, which means you also need world-class talent on your team. Correct. So how do you attract that talent and make sure it stays? Might I also add we are a previous Torch Award winner? Yes. I had to throw that in there. Congratulations <laughs> on that Torch Award for Ethics. Yes. What was that 2017? That was a year ago, right? It was last year, yeah. So yeah, yeah not this one, the year before. Yeah, and then a, I, I have to make one more plug. I'm really proud of this. Please. Also in 2016 for the Phoenix Business Journal, we won the Small Business Corporate Philanthropy Award. That's amazing. And we're really, really happy about that because for two reasons. Um, one, it was the very first year they had they had ever given away the award, so we were the first recipient. But the the second and the biggest reason that I was really proud of it is um, some people can say, oh, well, not many people applied. I look at it at the other way and say no one was trying to win this award. Because there's a lot of, and I'll put some context into that. Not that I didn't want to win it. What I'm saying is a lot of people see these rankings and these lists and these awards, and they say, I want to win that. And then they start to, like, build up a case on why they should win an award. Mm-hmm. We were just doing the right thing. And then we won the award for corporate philanthropy. And that, that's awesome. That's, something I'm, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of other than, I mean, obviously, best place to work is really cool. But I think the corporate philanthropy one was probably the one that we're the most proud of. That is really because neat. it was stuff our employees were doing to give back to the community and a panel of judges that none of us even knew voted us ahead of two very reputable companies here in town. So that was awesome. So that is cool. back to your question. Um, what do we do to make that happen? Yeah. So, you know, part of it is my business partner and I just being on the same page, right? Just always trying to run in good, honest business, right? But that only goes so far. You, you can, everyone has good, inten- well, most people have good intentions, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of um, very nice people that don't run great businesses and um, nothing against them. But through this premier partnership with Google, we get to go to Google's headquarters once a year for agency meetings. And uh, we were very fortunate um, that they've changed a lot over the past couple of years. Now it's just this big, huge, massive meeting and it's like a, just a big conference and they have these keynotes. Three and four years ago, they used to be these very boutique meetings they had at Google where we got to go to Google headquarters, and there was only like, man, 40 or 50 agencies there. Wow. And each, each agency had anywhere from one to three people. So there was like less than 100, around 100 people at this conference. Mm-hmm. It was a private conference. We got to choose various tracks around what we were interested in. And my business partner and I kind of like divided and conquered. He's like, okay, you go to the sales stuff, I'll go to the operations stuff. Mm-hmm. My business partner had the opportunity to spend, I don't know if it was an hour or two hours, with the head of HR of Google. Oh. That's cool. Okay, that's like, where do you get that interaction or that time? or It doesn't just happen, Mm -mm, right? mm -mm. Especially a company with less than 40 employees getting FaceTime with someone like that. And it did two things. It, It reassured a lot of the things that we were doing, but it also gave us a lot of context in what to do additionally. And we made a lot of changes for the better after he had that interaction. And, I mean, he literally was scribbling down notes like a madman that entire time. And we used a lot of what Google used for their peer reviews, their 360 reviews, their evaluation process. And we tied that to our culture. And, you know, my business partner, Scott, has always been big on this. And I was pretty skeptical in the beginning of him saying we have to have our employees work with people they like to work with. Mm -hmm. And we have to make sure they're friends. And he kind of did it this little, you know, like Dr. Evil. <laughs> and he's like, because when people like working with each other, they will stay and we will have a good workforce. And he's like, so if they're good enough and smart enough to work here, 
that's great, but they also have to like each other. He's like, I want to make sure everyone likes each other. And it, it sounds crazy, but when you put together, and I'm not saying we're all just, you know, screwing around and having fun. And yeah, we have fun stuff and ping pong and foosball and all that stuff. It's, it's not like it's a free for all, but mm-hmm. when you work hard at getting people in your company that want to be around each other and like each other and work well with each other and then put the responsibility in their hands, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And we changed our, one thing we did before this, um, which we had just started doing around this time is we changed the hiring process also to where our employees determine whether or not they want to um, work with this individual. And we're the last person to say yay or nay to where it used to be the traditional, you know, um, hey, uh, Jacob or Kimberly, check out this resume. What do you think? Well, nine times out of 10, you're just going to agree with your boss or your owner just because they just handed the resume down the line. Mm-hmm. So now it's completely reversed. And you come to me and say, Ken, this is my guy or this is my girl. I like them. What do you think? That's cool. So unless they, you know, have something that's a huge red flag, you're hiring them. Well, now that employee has a vested interest in that hire. They've said that they want to work with them. They've said that they're smart enough. They are now vested in that employee. And in most cases, most, it works. And I think since we've implemented that, I want to say my partner and I have maybe only turned down two or three people that our employees have brought to us. And then we've been like, no, not a fit. That's and cool. they use and we've never had an issue. That's it's been okay, because they know that most of the time we would never turn anyone down if they plead that that's the person they want. Mm-hmm. So, combination between being on the same page as my partner, being consistent with the environment that we want to work in, putting responsibility in the um, hiring process to our employees, and then implementing a lot of the um, framework around what Google uses best practices for um, performance reviews, three hundred and sixty reviews and holding employees accountable. That's pretty cool. And you now, put all that together, magic. you have a good place to work. It's hard, though. Did you also incorporate any of Google's questions in the interview process, such as how many jelly beans could I fit into this refrigerator, or if I was a pilot, how do I land in a snowstorm in Chicago? Any of those? No, we don't have anything crazy like okay. that. Okay, <laughs> just to see how people I, creatively think. No, actually, that's that's a good um, good question. We don't have anything to really throw people off. But what we do um, it, um, have our employees do is take an employee either out to go do some, or I'm sorry, a potential candidate, either out for a happy hour or a lunch or a dinner or something non-work related to kind of see how they act. Because, you know, people change, you know, they come in and they have their answers and they're everything kind of, you know, ready to go for the interview. But when you get a couple of drinks in someone or get them out having fun, they can do a 180 on you. Mm-hmm. So that's the true test right there. Got to see if they're a company culture fit. Yeah. I, I very much agree with that because I I don't think, I don't agree with the idea that you come to work and you're a robot and you have no personality and you just do your work and you go home. Mm-hmm. Um, you spend most of your, of your week, of the hours in your week at work. So you need to be comfortable and know and trust the people that you're working with, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. And, that, and that, that's, I think, why we had so much success with having our employees be the main point of contact for the hiring process, because they have to determine all those things you just said. Do I want to sit next to this person every yeah. day? <laughs> Do I want to be around them? And they also know the um, responsibilities and roles of their job, because nine times out of 10, that person who's hiring them is hiring them for a job that they either are doing now or just did. Mm-hmm right? Because they're either entry level or mid-management. 
and they're hiring someone below them so that they really know the requirements for that job. Yeah. And they can determine if that person's qualified to do it. Speaking of choosing how you spend your time, since we are limited on time, in time, on earth in general, <laughs> why did you decide to spend uh, so much time here with us at the BBB? I really enjoy being involved at the BBB. So I think this is what my fifth or sixth year involved with the board. And I remember when uh, Brian Burt sponsored me to be on the board of directors, he had said, it sounds crazy, but this is probably the most enjoyable board that I've um, been involved with. And I've met a lot of good people. I have a lot of friends here and you're really going to like it. And I, I think I said this a month or two ago at a, a staff meeting here and I was like, I didn't believe him. And I, I, I didn't, but I do. I, I love being involved with the BBB. It's a great organization. I really believe in um, everything that they stand for. And um, I like the work that we're doing with the BBB. And it was a no-brainer. Plus, you guys have a pretty cool setup here. I'm impressed. Ah, I like yeah. all the <laughs> headphones and microphones. And I got the laptop hooked up to all the sound equipment and everything. And this is a very professional operation. Thank I'm you. I'm quite, quite impressed. <laughs> we're fooling the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you ever need a guest host while one of you are out of town, I'd, I'd be glad to <laughs> come, right. in, to come yes. in and help. So yes. <laughs> We'll put you on the roster we for will. substitute host. <laughs> so um, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm all things BBB. I so like it's, it. It's a good operation. You're even wearing your BBB pin on your lapel, so yes. I appreciate that. Yeah, I it's wear nice it with touch. pride. That's cool. I even have the BBB um, seal on my business card. Love it. Yep. We saved our l- best question for last, Ken. And again, this is... This is a pretty deep question, so everyone who's listening, please be prepared to have your minds blown. Yes, lean in. Lean in. Be seated if you're standing and listening (laughs) to this. Do you have any words of encouragement or any sage wisdom for any person who's listening to our podcast who's currently running their own business out of their home or someone who's thinking of starting a business? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Well, the the first point of wisdom I'd I'd have to say is... um, Identify where you think you're best suited with your with your abilities. You know that, that's something where I think a lot of people make make mistakes. We talked about that. Knowing the difference between a number one and a number two, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, secondly, I started my company out of my apartment, and now I have I don't know is it 35 or 36 employees, and I have an office in Chicago and employees there, and we have a nice space in Phoenix. I'm sorry, and Tempe. Tempe, right at 5th and Mill. So there's there's nothing wrong with working from home, starting from home, and take things in stride. You know, the, so much of business is getting your foundation figured out properly, figuring out who your customers are. The thing it took me five or six years was figuring out who was the right fit for me. And you can get excited chasing a lot of stuff that is not the right deal. And the other thing I want to, um, piece of advice I want to give is, know when the right time is to engage with a certain type of client. So if you're trying to build a small business or a consulting service, you know, I'll just make something up. Let's say you're doing consulting here in town and, you know, U-Haul is a big name here. Discount Tire is a big name or uh, I'm trying to think some of the other companies here, Best Western. If you have an in with one of them, be careful when you use that political capital. Because if you get in and you get the ability to work with someone like that, it can be the best thing or the worst thing. It can be the best thing because it could take your company to new levels or new heights, but it could also be the worst because if you're not ready to scale, if you're not ready to support, if you're not ready to service the account properly, 
you can you may never have that chance again. Mm. So know when to jump in, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. that Kenny Rogers song, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. <laughs> but there's a lot of truth to that, right? And the, the same in business. You have to know when to go in. You have to know when not to. So I started my business out of my apartment, and I'm proud of it. And it was the right thing for us to do. And my hat's off to a lot of people that are doing that. And um, work hard. It's not going not gonna to get any easier, but I can tell you that the definition of entrepreneur, entrepreneurism is living your life for a few years like most people won't so you can spend the rest of your life living like most people can't. Ken, thank you for coming. We really enjoyed you coming in and talking with us. Uh, hopefully you come in another time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. This is awesome. It was really fun. Thank you. And you guys can catch Ken Bonham on a local ice rink near you. <laughs> <laughs> Just Thanks. don't yell at me while I'm repping. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. You're welcome. <laughs>